Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, October 7th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, there's another huge crypto hack, and I'll give you two guesses as to what folks think the culprit is. The Twitter Elon trial is officially paused. Meta can't get its own developers to use their Metaverse products. Maybe my dream of Death Star-style Anklebots is over. And of course, the weekend long-read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. What the heck is it with bridges? Example number whatever. Binance says 2 million BNB coin worth around $570 million were stolen from its BNB chain in an exploit. The, quote, majority of BNB are in the hacker's wallet. Around $100 million worth were, quote, unrecovered. Earlier, the word was that Binance smart chain had suspended transactions due to a bridge exploit. Quoting the latest from Reuters, Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao said in a tweet that tokens were stolen from a blockchain bridge used in the BNB chain, which was known as Binance Smart Chain until February. Blockchain bridges are tools used to transfer cryptocurrencies between different applications. Zhao said the hackers stole around $100 million worth of crypto. BNB Chain later said in a blog post that a total of $2 million of the cryptocurrency BNB, worth around $570 million, was withdrawn by the hacker. BNB Chain supports the BNB cryptocurrency, formerly known as Binance Coin, which is the world's fifth largest token, with a market value of some $46 billion, according to CoinGecko data. Some $2 billion worth of cryptocurrency has been stolen in 13 different bridge hacks, mostly this year, crypto analytics firm Chainalysis said in August. BNB Chain suspended its blockchain for several hours before resuming at around 0630 GMT, it said in a tweet. It said in its blog post that BNB Chain was, quote, able to stop the incident from spreading by contacting the blockchain's validators, entities, or individuals who verify blockchain transactions. BNB Chain said there are 44 validators across several different time zones without giving further details. BNB Chain said it would introduce a new governance mechanism to counter future hacks, as well as to expand the number of validators, end quote. Real quick, because I'm kind of as tired of this as you are, Judge Kathleen McCormick officially granted Elon Musk's request to halt the Twitter trial and says that if a deal isn't struck between the two parties by 5 p.m. on October 28th, the trial will begin in November. Quoting The Verge, The stay was granted over the protests of Twitter's lawyers who implored the judge not to take Musk's words seriously. Twitter's lawyer Kevin Shannon wrote in a letter to McCormick saying, quote, Now on the eve of trial, defendants declare they intend to close after all. Trust us, they say. We mean it this time. And so they ask to be relieved from a reckoning on the merits, end quote. Musk's lawyers insisted that the problem is actually with Twitter. As Edward B. Micheletti argued, quote, Twitter will not take yes for an answer. Astonishingly, they have insisted on proceeding with this litigation, recklessly putting the deal at risk and gambling with their stockholders' interests, end quote. Sources say Musk Twitter talks are stuck on a question of debt financing. But Musk also apparently wants to reserve the right to sue Twitter for allegedly misleading him about bot accounts. The Verge has seen an internal memo wherein Meta's VP of Metaverse says that Horizon Worlds, which is Meta's flagship Metaverse app at the moment, 
is suffering from too many quality issues, and even the team building the app isn't using it very much. Quote, In one of the memos to employees dated September 15th, Meta's VP of Metaverse, Vishal Shah, said the team would remain in a quality lockdown for the rest of the year to, quote, ensure that we fix our quality gaps and performance issues before we open up Horizon to more users. Since launching late last year, we have seen that the core thesis of Horizon Worlds, a synchronous social network where creators can build engaging worlds, is strong. Shaw wrote in a memo last month, but current feedback from our creators, users, playtesters, and many of us on the team is that the aggregate weight of paper cuts, stability issues, and bugs is making it too hard for our community to experience the magic of Horizon. Simply put, for an experience to become delightful and retentive, it must first be usable and well-crafted, end quote. A key issue with Horizon's development to date, according to Shaw's internal memos, is that the people building it inside Meta appear not to be using it that much. Quote, For many of us, we don't spend that much time in Horizon, and our dogfooding dashboards show this pretty clearly. He wrote to employees on September 15th, Why is that? Why don't we love the product we've built so much that we use it all the time? The simple truth is, if we don't love it, how can we expect our users to love it? End quote. In a follow-up memo dated September 30th, Shaw said that employees still weren't using Horizon enough, writing that a plan was being made to, quote, hold managers accountable for having their teams use Horizon at least once a week. Everyone in this organization should make it their mission to fall in love with Horizon Worlds. You can't do that without using it. Get in there. Organize times to do it with your colleagues or friends in both internal builds, but also the public builds so you can interact with our community, end quote. Ah, Yes a product that you have to make it your mission to fall in love with. That's clearly a product that, say, my mom would naturally just want to use of her own accord, but hey, you know, product market fit is hard. Meanwhile, Amazon has reportedly stopped working on Scout, its autonomous, cooler-sized home delivery robot that it's been testing since 2019, this was one of the first of the so-called ankle bots that I got excited about. A source says around 400 people were working on the project globally at Amazon. And look, y'all, if ankle bots end up being a bust too, I'm just going to be very sad. Quoting Bloomberg. Amazon spokesperson Elisa Carroll said the scout team was being disbanded and would be offered new jobs in the organization. About 400 people were working on the project globally, according to the person who requested anonymity to discuss a private matter. A skeleton crew will continue to consider the idea of an autonomous robot, but the current iteration isn't working. During our Scout limited field test, we worked to create a unique delivery experience, but learned through feedback that there were aspects of the program that weren't meeting customers' needs, Carol said. As a result, we are ending our field tests and reorienting the program. We are working with employees during this transition, matching them to open roles that best fit their experience and skills, end quote. Only a few months ago, Amazon was still holding meet and greets in communities where it was testing the devices. Sean Scott, the vice president who oversaw the robot's development, left the company last year, according to his LinkedIn profile, end quote. But hey, let's try to wrap this week on a hopeful note. Faster memory chips are coming. Samsung has detailed GDDR7, already in production, which boasts speeds up to 36 Gbps, doubling GDDR6's 18 Gbps, and they plan to release new VNAND chips with a 230-layer design, quoting Tom's Hardware. 
In the DRAM field, the company announced that its latest fifth-generation 10-nanometer class manufacturing will start pushing out volume chips by 2023. Exploratory research is being done in sub-10-nanometer DRAM manufacturing, employing new patterning materials and architecture designs that include high-K gates. Samsung is leagues ahead of most of its rivals, which generally manufacture DRAM chips on 14-nanometer class nodes. Samsung's next-generation GDDR7 memory, which is sure to grace future graphics accelerators, is already in production. It offers speeds up to 36 Gbps, a doubling over GDDR6's 18 Gbps. At those data rates, a 384-bit memory bus would be able to deliver around 1.728 terabytes per second bandwidth, a large increase from the upcoming RTX 4090's 1 terabytes per second bandwidth. This will ensure GPU manufacturers have an adequate reservoir of bandwidth left without having to increase bus widths, as that would lead to more expensive PCBs and potentially even worse impacting on pricing. As for NAND, where Samsung stands as the undisputed king of the hill, the company is now designing and prototyping its 9th and 10th generation VNAND with appropriate increases in layer density compared to the technology of today. Samsung is now shipping its 7th generation 176-layer VNAND with plans to release VNAND chips based on its 8th generation 230-layer design by the end of the year. The latter will offer a 42% density increase with 512 gigabyte chips. But Samsung is eyeing even more significant jumps in density and expects to achieve a thousand layer VNAND design by 2030. Samsung also continues to work on QLC quad level cell tech, hoping to boost performance while also increasing storage bit density, end quote. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. It's kind of been bummer news all today. If the ankle bots aren't coming, maybe self-driving isn't either. Bloomberg has a long piece this week talking to Anthony Lewandowski, among others, 
a bunch of folks in the self-driving space who are increasingly bearish about it, saying, you know, we have spent around $100 billion on self-driving tech, and we're still kind of nowhere. Quote, Six years after companies started offering rides in what they've called autonomous cars, and almost 20 years after the first self-driving demos, there are vanishingly few such vehicles on the road, and they tend to be confined to a handful of places in the Sun Belt because they still can't handle weather patterns trickier than partly cloudy. State-of-the-art robot cars also struggle with construction, animals, traffic cones, crossing guards, and what the industry calls unprotected left turns, which most of us would call left turns. While the industry's biggest names continue to project optimism, the emerging consensus is that the world of robotaxis isn't just around the next unprotected left, that we might have to wait decades longer or an eternity. Long term, I think we will have autonomous vehicles that you and I can buy, says Mike Ramsey, an analyst at market researcher Gartner, but we're going to be old, end quote. Our driverless future is starting to look so distant that even some of its most fervent believers have turned apostate. Chief among them is Anthony Lewandowski, the engineer who more or less created the model for self-driving research and was, for more than a decade, the field's biggest star. Now he's running a startup that is developing autonomous trucks for industrial sites, and he says that for the foreseeable future, that's about as much complexity as any driverless vehicle will be able to handle. You'd be hard-pressed to find another industry that's invested so many dollars in R&D and that has delivered so little, Lewandowski says in an interview. Forget about profits. What's the combined revenue of all the robo-taxi, robo-truck, robo-whatever companies? Is it a million dollars? Maybe. I think it's more like zero, end quote. Okay, I keep trying to bounce back to optimism today, so look at all the excitement in AI all of a sudden as a counter to that doom and gloom about self-driving cars. I really can't quote from this piece because it's more of a graphical thing, but Jay Alomar posted a step-by-step illustrated explainer of how stable diffusion actually works. Check the links for that. Then back to Bloomberg for a profile of a fintech company that says it's still going strong. Quote, A college dropout from Switzerland has amassed a $14 billion fortune to become one of the country's richest people by creating a rising star in electronic payments. Guillaume Pouzatz is the founder and chief executive officer of Checkout.com, which this year raised funding at a valuation of $40 billion, making it worth more than British Telecom's giant Vodafone. But in its formative years, his company also got business from clientele Pouzatz doesn't like to talk about, porn and gambling websites. His path to create one of Europe's most valuable startups circles the globe from the U.S., where he pursued a passion for surfing and got his first taste of the payments industry to Singapore, where he founded Checkout's predecessor while still in his 20s, end quote. But back to cars, the non-self-driving variety. The Wall Street Journal asked the question, as more and more car makers turn over the brains and interface for their vehicles to Google and Apple, are we facing a new duopoly? We're already used to Android people versus iOS people, but in the future, forget Ford versus Chevy. Will we be locked into the cars we drive based on what tech ecosystem we're in? Quote, Now that cars, especially electric ones, are becoming something like smartphones on wheels, some of the dynamics that played out in the early days of the mobile industry are playing out in the auto industry. Competition between the two kingpins of the smartphone industry has, in the past couple of years, gained new momentum, with Google racking up automaker partnerships for the automobile-based version of its Android operating system, and Apple teasing plans to expand its software capabilities in the car. For the car companies involved, which face the nearly impossible challenge of producing software on par with what tech companies offer, 
Working with Silicon Valley can address consumer desires while also staving off competition from companies like Tesla. And yet, there is an inherent tension in these partnerships over who controls the user experience and the valuable data produced. Taken together, these forces mean that every car maker is having to navigate a delicate balance between doing things in-house and signing partnerships that cede control and potentially some sources of revenue. These choices are leading to a vast and confusing new ecosystem in which mobile device refers to the car and not just the phone. Until now, consumers didn't need to care about what software was running in their car, but increasingly they may. For the average driver, this could mean cars that operate with much more familiar and functional software, but it may also extend the limited choice that now exists in the duopoly of smartphone operating systems with implications for later selling a vehicle or switching to a different smartphone ecosystem. Imagine car listings that say, 60,000 miles, runs great, supports up to Apple Car OS version 3.1. Sorry, Android users, get an iPhone already, end quote. And finally today, a weekend project. Download all of Wikipedia and put it on a flash drive. Why? I don't know. So you can have all of humanity's collective knowledge available anywhere, even offline. I don't know why projects like this always appeal to me. Am I becoming a modern digital hoarder? I told you I got an 8-terabyte hard drive for my Mac Studio, despite also heavily using iCloud and OneDrive now, basically... That 8 terabytes is only about 1.8 terabytes full. Am I becoming a modern digital prepper? Is my impulse to want to have all of Wikipedia on hand similar to the fact that I bought a Jackery battery and solar panel so that all summer all my phone and laptop usage was powered by free rays from the sun, even though it probably only saved me less than $10 in electric bills? Or is this related to, I don't know, my age, my generation? I'm of the original iPod generation, where the urge to have all of your music at your fingertips meant getting the biggest possible iPod and uploading your whole music library and then meticulously organizing it as some form of therapy or something. I actually remember in the early days of the App Store, there was an app that let you download all of Wikipedia onto your phone. I took up most of the storage on my first iPhone with that. I remember reading Wikipedia on planes once or twice, which now, you know, even planes have decent Wi-Fi. Anyway, if you want to do something similar with a flash drive that can fit on your keychain, say, the last link in the show notes is the step-by-step instructions for how to download all of Wikipedia. You'll need a minimum of a 128 gigabyte drive, but, you know, those are less than 15 bucks or so these days on Amazon, so why not? Let's all save Wikipedia on our thumb drives all around the world, and maybe one of us will be responsible for keeping the light of civilization burning, canicle for Leibowitz style. Okay, no bonus episode this weekend, and also no show on Monday. I'm going to take Monday off. Monday is Indigenous Peoples Day slash Columbus Day. And if you're a long enough listener, you'll recall I usually make fun of this as a holiday to begin with. But as my parents are in town and the kids are now old enough to travel comfortably, I can't pass up this opportunity to spend a long weekend with all of them. Gonna go check out Providence and Newport, Rhode Island this week maybe even Cape Cod. Anyway, talk to you on Tuesday. Be good in my absence.